to Board Game Famous, the only podcast that strives to answer the question, what is the exact opposite of sex, drugs, and rock and roll? I'm your host, David, and I'm joined by my co-host, Michael. Howdy, howdy. Oh, what a cowboy intro. (laughs) Darn (laughs) tootin'. So I wanted to start this podcast so I could get free stuff. I'm not going to lie to you. I wanted to be famous enough that people would value my board game opinions and send me free board games. You gotta start somewhere. And I'm just glad I was invited. (laughs) You're always invited to play board games, Michael. Well, it's a little hard when you live in another state. So, Michael, what you been playing? Well, our Gloomhaven group finally decided to get back together after not playing together for about a year because of this whole pandemic thing. We realized that we have been doing side missions the entire time in Gloomhaven and are not very far in the actual campaign. (laughs) I was going to say no spoilers, but it doesn't sound like that's going to be an issue. Uh, I I will tell you where we're at, and you can let me know if you've gotten to that point. So I'm not actually playing the campaign right now. I'm using the Steam version of Gloomhaven, which, which works fairly well. I mean, it's a, it's a great implementation. It's one of the better implementations of a board game to Steam that I've seen, but it follows the rules exactly. When you've got multiple players and you're playing with the physical copy, you can streamline the process a little bit. There is zero streamlining. You are following the step-by-step rules of Gloomhaven. Yeah, we just did the mission where uh, you have to escort a character through an area so that she can go to this one spot at the end of the dungeon. So I haven't played that in the actual campaign but uh the steam version has kind of a, a map that you have to explore and mm-hmm. there's some side quests it's it's essentially all side quests for your characters really and there was yeah. an escort mission i found that really fun it was it was keep him alive in his first turn he sprinted like eight steps forward now this person can move like max two or three squares okay. something like that uh it was it's not very far into the campaign uh I am on my third, almost fourth character. Wow. You've and retired are, that many. And we are not that far into the campaign. <laughs> <laughs> so we have decided that we are going to try to complete it. So you're going to just buckle down and do do the actual storyline this time? Yep, we got two missions done this past week. Nice. What character are you playing? Uh, I am playing the Berserker. Ooh, that's a tough one. It's a lot of fun. I think I've finally started to figure it out. That's cool. Yeah. yeah, the Berserker also, is one of the available characters that like you could play on the on on the side mission. It's called mm-hmm. it's called a guild that you're playing through, and hopefully mm-hmm. they're uh, they're supposedly releasing the actual campaign this this year. Oh, very nice, very nice. Yeah, we're trying to finish it before everything else comes out. So, what are you playing? I've got the collection of my friend group. I've got all the board games, which means I have a lot of games to choose from, and sometimes it gets difficult to choose. So what Ellen and I have been doing, I guess I should say, so what my wife and I have been doing. (laughs) Your wife? (laughs) Uh, To the listeners at home, I am a taken man. Sorry. (laughs) I'm off the market. (laughs) You know, that stranger from the internet, you might be listening to the one day and going, oh man, he sounds sexy. (laughs) And I can confirm that he is at least just okay. (laughs) (laughs) Having the board game collection, it sometimes gets difficult to choose what game to play. So what Ellen and I do is we'll tear up strips of paper and write the games that we want to play, fold them up, put them in this glass jar, and we'll draw out of that for the next couple of weeks. 
we just finished doing that. I got to play uh, about 12 games in my collection, which is about 10%. So is your wife your main gaming partner? Oh, yeah. Without a question. Even before the pandemic, uh, she has the patience of a saint. <laughs> Ain't that nice. David, what do you want to do tonight? Take a wild guess, Ellen. <laughs> Let's play a board game. So what board games have you been playing with your wife? <laughs> so I got to play Scythe. Uh, I played Everdell with all the expansions that I have. And I'll talk more about those later. Because I want to discuss what our favorite games are. Spoiler alert. Everdell's my favorite game. So I put I obviously put that in the bowl to play that week. I, I was actually reviewing my collection and doing doing this bowl game... I've made it so that Ellen has only not played two of my games. Two of the games in my collection. Ooh. So she has not played Blood Rage, which I know you don't like, but uh, I think it's fun. And it's my set's lovely and painted, which which she helped paint. And because she's more on the artistic side, she made it look beautiful. One of our members in the Gloomhaven Gloomhaven group is into wargaming, and so he has tons of painted miniatures, and he paints our miniatures for Gloomhaven, and it's fantastic. Oh, that's awesome. I I wanted to do that. It just takes so much time. I actually have two games that I'm in the middle of painting, and by in the middle of, I mean I haven't painted minis in about five months. David, it's a pandemic. You have all the time in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, I have all the time in the world. I don't have... The tiny motor skills required. Yeah. So instead, I just get incredibly frustrated. What other games have I been playing? Oh, of course, I've been playing Calico. This is... That's by far my favorite game that came out of 2020. A lovely little tiling game about cats and kittens. Have you played that one yet? No, unfortunately, due to the pandemic, I there was not a lot of new games I played last year. I guess this is a fine enough time to segue into what kind of gamer are you? In terms of mechanics, probably like more Euro-style games, but I also like pretty games. Okay. You've already mentioned Everdell, and one of its most redeeming uh, features is how gorgeous it is. You don't like Everdell? Oh, I love Everdell. I don't know why I said redeeming. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> no, Everdell is a great, great, well-designed game. But I think I'm into more your game. You know, there are a few smaller, hand, uh, smaller, quicker games that I like. But it comes to smaller games, I'm still not into the more luck-based games. Oh, more God. Skill. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. If it's a push-your-luck game, just kill me now. <laughs> Which is funny, because because I love Quacks of Quen Bird. <laughs> oh, I hate that game. Oh, oh push-your-luck games just break my brain. Because it's all statistics. But when I pull out that three, whatever the white flower thing is, the thing that makes your potion blow up, what are those called? I have no idea. Uh, whenever I pull that out for the fifth time in a row, when I've only got 40 freaking chips in my bag, yeah, hate that game. <laughs> it's, it's kind of fun because that game is, your board is independent of what other people are doing. Right, and it's so- very much multiplayer solitaire. It's multiplayer press your luck, and so you're enjoying watching the stress of other people. And so what one of my friends actually did is he bought two copies of that game and made one mega copy of Quacks of Quenwenberg so we can have eight people sitting around a table 
Hmm. And you can just sit there and enjoy the stress of someone who's like, oh, oh, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. I, I could do one more. I could do one more. Press your luck. My thought, the only problem is, I for press your luck, I evaluate and go, I should be able to do four more. Next one, I I, I die. Or I, I, I blow up. <laughs> Statistically. Yeah. You're an engineer. You should be okay with statistics. I'm okay with statistics, but I just have bad luck. That's the problem. <laughs> Ain't that just the way. I'll, but no, I'll... I, I like uh, heavier games. My core board gaming group likes to get together at least once a month to play like a four to five hour long game. Oh, nice. What uh, What games like that? Uh, we played Eclipse 2.0 when that came out. I've only played that once, but I really enjoyed it. Wait, no, I know I played it twice now. I played it before the pandemic, and I played it once whenever we decided to get this core group of board gamers back together last fall. Uh, it's probably about five of us total mm-hmm. that see each other. And so we played Eclipse, and we recently played Twilight Imperium. And I won. Oh, nice. Which means I'm the greatest board gamer. <laughs> I think I align very similarly to your uh, the style of board games that we like. I am a hardcore Euro gamer. I love mechanics. Mechanics over theme. But I realize not everybody's like that. So I have to have the pretty games so I can convince other people to play with me. I like Everdell because it's got solid, solid mechanics, but it's beautiful so I can trick other people to play with me. I have a theory that Euro games are mechanically the best, and I love to buy board games that are ugly and boring titled and just have no theme at all, essentially, because my theory is that for a board game to look that bad, to sound that boring, that the mechanics just have to be stellar for it to be made into production. (laughs) I bought a game called The Dutch Golden Age, with the ugliest looking guy on the front. And I was like, oh, this sounds boring. This has to be good. Another Euro game about colonialism? Oh yeah, another Euro game about colonialism. Another Euro game that just lightly brushes colonialism under the rug, too. <laughs> For those of you who have not seen it, no pun included video about colonialism in board games. Must watch. Oh, it was very good. I loved it. And also, maybe if you plug them, they'll plug us. <laughs> who who is gonna go from our podcast to no pun included not knowing <laughs> <the book? laughs> oh i heard about i heard about no pun included from this this podcast called board game famous uh next i would like to recommend uh this small group that you might know as uh dice tower have you ever heard of them <laughs> tell me more <laughs> No, but that's, uh, I think that's a great way to get gain board game fame. It's just uh, shout-outs all the time. <laughs> uh, right, Shout-out to, shout to Randy, who explains uh, board games on YouTube. Love you, Randy. Who's Randy? Randy is with with Watch It Played. Shout-out shout out to Randy with Watch It Played. Uh, you're my hero. That's You mean Rodney? Shout-out to Rodney. <laughs> Shout out to Rodney. You're my hero. So much my hero. I almost know your name. (laughs) I was like, who the hell is Randy? (laughs) So, getting back on topic of what kind of gamer I am. 
Uh, I like to th- say I'm an Omni gamer. That's not necessarily true, because I'm definitely a hardcore Euro gamer, but none of my friends are, which is uh, which is a dang shame, because I love love a dry Euro. So I've got to play. I got to buy all the games that I like. I enjoy them because I'm the one in my group that buys the games. And they all know that I'll buy games if they're going to play it. Yeah. You have to be a little bit of an Omni gamer. Just to a certain extent. Especially depending on the group that you play with. Mm -hmm. And I'll try any game once. For sure. Uh, The only type of game I haven't played yet is a war game. And I really want to try one. I've had my eye on uh, the game called Tears to Many Mothers. Mm. That one looks good. Yeah, the thing that I miss most is board game conventions when people just bring all their board games that they want to play to a con Mm -hmm. and you just meet random people saying, hey, I'm playing X. Do you want to play? And I'll be like, I've never played it. Let's do it. Can you teach me? Let's do this. Can you teach me? Can you teach me? Or, you know, they even have a board game library of board games that I've wanted to try. Mm-hmm. Our local board game convention, which obviously hasn't happened for over a year, Mega Moose. Uh, yeah, I would go the entire weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and not play a ga- single game I've played before. And I'd go from 10 a.m. and I'd be there till 11 p.m. and play not a single game that I've played before. Next year, if they have the Springfield board game convention, you need to go. Go with Ellen and I. Try and make it back. Out in Springfield, Missouri. Yeah, back in Springfield, Missouri. It's Moon City Con. Shout, Shout out to out Moon City Con. <laughs> Shout out to Moon City Con. Shout, Shout out to Peking House down the street from Moon City Con. Shout out to Peking House. I guess this will segue to uh, uh, favorite games of yours. And I don't know how you want to handle it, but I guess my first question is... No, what's your favorite game that takes less than half an hour to play? Uh, it would probably be Calico, actually. We bought that this last year. It's one of our, one of the more recent additions to our collection. I don't normally like tile drafting, but it's, it's more of a puzzly game. Based, You have to place tiles on your board, matching colors together, matching patterns together. So you have to match, you have to match colors together to score points with buttons. You have to match patterns together to score points with kittens. And then you have these three patch tiles that get in your way that also have special scoring bonuses around them based on colors and patterns. And it's incredibly thinky. So it goes back to that. I like to be challenged. The style of game that I really enjoy is I don't like the mean games where I'm blocking you. Haha, you can't get this. I like the games that give you so much to think about that you that stuff falls through the cracks, and it's the people that can hold on to juggle all the balls at once. And uh, Calico gives you three scoring conditions: three three scoring conditions you have to juggle: buttons by matching colors, kittens that by matching patterns, and these patches that you can score with both colors and patterns. And it gives you an incredibly thinky experience in just thirty minutes. And something that I thought was incredible about the game itself: it gives you a bunch of different ways to play. So you've got your scoring patches that change each round. The the kittens uh, want patterns and specific shapes each each time you play. That's different. And in the rule book, it says, "Hey, you've played a bunch of times. You've mastered this game. Okay, now play it this way." It, it gives you other restrictions you can play with to give yourself additional <laughs> challenges. And I, I really liked that. 
There's also an achievement sheet in the game that says, oh, you always play this way? Try and play this way and score this achievement, which is really nice. So, like I talked about the three scoring opportunities, it's like, oh, you always, you're really good at balancing them? Try and win, but get no buttons. Or try and win and score no cats. And it's a, it's a really good game. What's your what's your favorite game under 30 minutes? It's a very, very different kind of game. Probably uh, Skulls. Skulls is probably my favorite. Okay, okay, I like that one. It is probably my most played light game. My board game in color is red, and the red tiles are worn out more than any other tiles <laughs> in the set because of me playing it. Just one of the things that I miss is just sitting on the table and trying to figure out what kind of player everybody is. Because you can be a different kind of player in that game and still be and still be fairly successful. You know, people like to play more aggressively and try to bet and risk it. Some people play more defensively and put the skull on it. It's a bluffing game and everybody has a stack of discs in, uh, face down in front of them. And you're trying to reveal discs that have flowers on them. But one of everybody's discs is a skull, and if you reveal that, you basically lose one of your discs. And if you lose all your discs, you're out of the game. That's the short version of it. But you don't know what other people have put. There's something about people being aggressive, trying to bet high numbers, and flipping discs. I like to think of it as the scene from Princess Bride. Are you the kind of person that would put the poison in front of you? Like I said earlier, I love Euro games. I love thinking games, all that kind of stuff. But for that kind of game, I try to get in people's head. <laughs> if I don't think I can get beat someone's bet and reveal that more flowers than they previously bet, I'll wait. I'll make them think that everything's fine. I'll get in their head and think, make everybody think it's fine. Or you know, I'll you know, I'll just get into heads like. Body language, the way I speak, the way I do things, just to screw with people, make everything that people think it's okay. It's exactly like that, where you're just... It's its less about what's on the table and more about how people are interacting around. Mm-hmm. So it's probably my favorite game under 30 minutes. I used to i used to not like the question, what's your favorite board game? But instead of saying, what's your favorite board game, somebody once asked me, what's your go-to game? And I really enjoyed that question as well. Because for me, that's easy. It's Dominion. That's always my go-to game. If I'm introducing, if I play a game with somebody who's not, who's not that into board gaming, we're playing Dominion. It's so simple, so quick. I have the rules down pat, so I can teach it in five minutes, and then we're mm-hmm. off to the races. Mm-hmm. I'm sure something we can cover in another board gaming podcast: how to teach a game. Oh yeah. Are you are you generally the teacher? No, because my friends have a larger board gaming collection than I do. Depending on the kind of game that we have, or we're planning on playing, we'll do a couple things. If we just decide that night that we're going to play it, there's, we usually have to have someone who is familiar with the rules who can teach us. Or if we decide ahead of time that we're going to play it, we watch a rules video or figure out the rules on our own, and then go and play it. Mm-hmm. Like when we did Twilight Imperium, watch the rules on how to play Twilight Imperium before uh, playing. Do you watch the RTFM how to play? Yes. Yeah, I always I always make everybody like, alright, watch watch RTFM's how to play. Because uh, I mean one of my one of my four uh, favorite board games that I still own is Euphoria, but I don't get to play that as much as I used to whenever I first got it. And there are so many little things in that game that can be easily forgotten mm-hmm. and I think need to be displayed in a certain order that I don't feel comfortable teaching because I play it maybe once a year. 
Have you played Pendulum? I have not. I think between me and you, Pendulum is the only Stonemeyer game we haven't played. Shout out Stonemeyer. <laughs> Trying to shout out the Stonemeyer. <laughs> I'd have to see the list of Stonemeyer games. I've played Viticulture. We've both played Tapestry, Scythe, Wingspan, Pendulum, Euphoria. Yeah. Why don't you talk about your favorite games? Because you mentioned Skull as your favorite game under 30. I would say my all-time favorite game is Scythe. Oh, that's your all-time favorite? Probably, it's probably my all-time favorite. I haven't really played it since the, the Rise of Fenris campaign that I played with my friends. So I know you didn't really care for Rise of Fenris. I didn't care for Rise of Fenris, but I've played it, I played it one time after that about three months later. And it reminded me that I still love the game. I just bought Rise of Fenris. I literally, yesterday, I bought Rise of Fenris. Because we've been playing through my collection a lot. And I asked Ellen what her favorite games were. Because I was just curious. And I was surprised to hear that Scythe was one of her top ten. Like, it's it's in contention for one of her favorites. It is. It is one of my favorite games of all time. After playing it the first time, which I played in college... Where we bought the game, I bought the game for my friend in St. Louis, and then drove back to where <laughs> we went to school, and he came over so that we could play it, and then we realized that the table we had was not big enough, so we had to go over to somebody else's house so we could play the game. <laughs> so you knew, based on all the discussion of the, your favorite games take an hour-long epics, you knew you were in a, uh, you were in a good, for a good time. We we had to find a place to be able to play this game before before we could even play it. A table <laughs> big enough. After playing it the first time, the thing I realized is there is this beautiful sprawling map in the middle of the board where people are putting characters and mechs and stuff and workers and they're moving them around. But the meat of the game is that little board that's right in front of you. those two boards. The mm-hmm. actions that you're taking and you know the cubes that you're moving around. That oh, is for the sure. most important thing. And after that, you know, you just got us like, hey, it's all about maximizing getting these cubes to somewhere else. <laughs> I know a lot of people, a lot of the people that don't like Scythe are mad because the game kind of lies to you a little bit. You, you think setting this up, it's going to be a game fighting over area control, but it's not. It's more about like area denial and then... This Euro game that you're playing down at the bottom on your, your personal boards that you were describing, maximizing the efficiency of your actions. Yeah, you use the board that everyone shares to most efficiently maximize your actions on your own personal board. You're moving your mechs around to control areas so you can get resources to make more efficient action down below on your personal board. And you were talking about playing games that are pretty. Ellen loves components. She loves mm-hmm. nice-looking games and beautiful components. And one of her favorite things are uh, metal coins. So a couple of Christmases ago, I got metal coins for Scythe. And I was like, Ellen, you love metal coins. I think you might like this game. I now own all the expansions for Scythe. We play it all the time. It's one of Ellen's favorites. I'm really excited to get it to Rise of Fenris with her. That's, that's probably my all-time favorite game. That's a good pick. That leads me to uh, another recurring segment I want to do. Board gaming missed connections. So it was my first 
It was my first board game convention. I was going to Geekway, and I was having an absolute blast. And I had learned a couple of games ahead of time to teach play people that we play with. And one of the games that I had learned was Viticulture. So we're sitting down. I open up Viticulture. I get everything set up. And the first action somebody does is they go to draw wine cards into their hand, which is the main way you score in the game. Of course, that was one of those nitpicky little rules that I had forgotten, was hand size. So I'm sitting there muttering to myself as I'm going through my ga- uh, going through the rule book, and somebody next to me says, I'm pretty familiar with that game. What are you looking for? And I look up, and it's Jamie Stegmeier, designer of Viticulture, sitting right next to me, going, oh, I need to know what hand size it is. And he goes, oh, it's seven. <laughs> and then, and then he, he turns away from me and goes back to his game. And I didn't want to bug him or anything, but I should have. Because that could have been the moment where Jamie Stegmaier and I became best friends. Is that the one that I was at? You were, the, you were there the year after. And he yeah, was sitting, I think he was sitting like down the yes, way a little bit. No, you told me that he was sitting in the next group next to us. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I promise, Jamie, if you're listening to this, to I'm not stalking you. Shout out to Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> Stonemeyer getting a lot of love in this in this podcast. <laughs> Stonemeyer was a big introduction into board game for me. Euphoria, Viticulture with Tuscany. I never actually have played Viticulture without Tuscany. Scythe. Yeah, those three were the big ones getting me into board gaming, I think. that's That's where you come from. Thinking about this the other day, I have been playing board games for about 10 years now. What do you consider the introduction to you for board gaming? The basis for my love of games comes from uh, growing up in our house. Mom mom always had board games for us to play. Some of them were not necessarily the, the mainstream market ones. So we had, we had Monopoly, we had Sorry, we had Scrabble. But she also bought us ones like, uh, I had Rumus which is now known as Blocus 3D. That's a more puzzly, abstract game than was uh, popular on me. We also had a copy of uh, Cathedral, another abstract strategy game about uh, area denial by placing your pieces on the board. So that started my love of games, but my first summer working out in Colorado, a group of people from Michigan brought Dominion, and I've been playing that games ever since. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> I remember playing. Uh, I remember playing with you until 2 a.m., and I was so out of it, I played Witch. And you said, I've got a moat in my hand. Moat wasn't in the game. You reached into the box, grabbed a moat, put it into your hand. And you believed me. Whose fault is it? <laughs> it was 2 a.m. I was so tired. That was like our fifth game. Our final segment for the podcast is with a mailbag? What do we want to call this? Can't use letters from listeners because that's already from another podcast. <laughs> what, what was it from Blue's Clues? It's mail time. It's mail time! I don't want to get sued. <laughs> can they still sue us? Because they don't do mail time You can anymore. say mail time, but you can't sing any songs. <laughs> <laughs> and you can't say that you want a whale. I want a whale! <laughs> that's right out. <laughs> But I would say something about whaling, but our lawyers say that's not, <laughs> that's not allowed. <laughs> it's mail time. Time to answer questions from viewers like you. 
This is a podcast. (laughs) If you had to live in one board game, what would it be? And I want to take this a couple of ways. One, are we talking about living in the board game world? Or two, are we using that box as real estate and living in the box? Because if that's the case, it would have to either go to Gloomhaven or Kingdom Death Monster. I think it has. All, I think it's all about the theme. It's all about the theme. Well, that's no fun. <laughs> so when they asked me this question, they posted it on Board Game Geek, and it was viewed by others. And they had an answer that was pretty hard to beat. So it was something along the lines of Santorini, that uh, the Greek island that's just absolutely gorgeous. And that's if you don't want any escapism, you know? You want to live in the real world, but someplace gorgeous. I, I mean, I'm worried about people building on top of my house and then jumping on my roof. But, you know, like, whatever. Oh, so, so the same same mechanics apply in real world. <laughs> Live in Santorini. It's gorgeous, but terrible upstairs neighbors. You move into a house, people are just hopping around. Someone's going to move in without asking. I could live in Everdell. I'd have a real rodent problem. <laughs> you would be a rodent. Who's to say I'm a rodent in this point? Maybe I'm just living You'd in these woods. No, if I were to live in any game based on the theme, of course you got to think about it ahead of time. I'm actually gonna think of. I'm actually gonna say the game that I thought of that just popped into my head. What's if that? If I could live in any game, it would be Last Will. Have you played that game? I have not. Have you seen the movie Brewster's Millions? <laughs> no. <laughs> it is a bit dated at this point. I have seen Max's Million Dollar Cookoff. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Max's Million Dollar Cook-Off. <laughs> no, it is. It is not like Max's Million Dollar Cook-Off. It's, it's more along the lines of Brewster's Millions. In Last Will, you play wealthy, affluent people who are trying to die penniless. So you're spending all your money on property, ruining the property value, getting rid of the property. You're trying to get elected to social... You're trying to get elected to political positions, and then ruining your political reputation. <laughs> you are trying to end the game penniless. So it sounds like I would... I was living at the start of the game, I would be incredibly wealthy, and then just get to live it up until the very end. That's that's a pretty good answer. If I were to live in any game, uh, it would be Raccoon Tycoon, because I want to be a bear with a suit. <laughs> That's it. (laughs) All right, so this has been the podcast for the day. Uh, Thank you for listening. You'll find us next week on whatever podcast platform you listen to. And to the Brothers Murph, there there is a new Best Brother podcast about board gaming in town. (laughs) If you have any comments or questions please email us at boardgamefamous at gmail.com. That's boardgamefamous at gmail.com.